Welcome to Cabbages and Kings, a podcast for readers of science fiction and fantasy. I'm your host, Jonah Sutton Morse. My guest this week is Aiden Mower of the Hugo Award winning A Dribble of Ink blog. Aiden recently published a collection of his own short stories, Tide of Shadows, and has created a blog that features not only his own writing, but often hosts guest articles, including most famously Cameron Hurley's We Have Always Fought. Aiden also has a design background and frequently spotlights new covers on his blog. I asked Aiden to come on tonight because cover art design is something I mostly just don't think about. At one point I would have said that I just ignore covers, but I'm becoming more aware of the ways that art actually does motivate me. I'm sure I do judge books by their covers, I just don't know how and I'm hoping Aiden can give me and you a bit of an introduction. Aiden, maybe you could start by just telling us a little bit of your background with the genre and with design and how cover arts became a thing you were interested in. I've been blogging for about eight years now, just after university, having graduated from a web development and design course, I decided to start my blog, A Dribble of Ink. Uh, I saw it as sort of a coming together of two of my hobbies, both of which I sort of had professional aspirations towards and thought it would be a good way to create a portfolio piece, but also have some fun writing about um, a subject that I that I really enjoy. I've been a science fiction fantasy reader, however, for much, much longer than that, since I was about seven or eight years old when my mom first introduced me to science fiction, and then eventually uh, to Tolkien and The Hobbit and, and fantasy, and sort of been running with that ever so since. What, what was the um, science fiction you started with? I'm just, I'm going to jump in because I'm curious. Sure, yeah. I um started reading a lot of science fiction quite young. It started with some of the Tom Swift books way back when he was a young inventor. You know, each book saw him inventing some new gadget that ended up leading to shenanigans. And I really enjoyed that. And I picked up Michael Crichton really young as well. I read Jurassic Park, being sort of dinosaur obsessed. I read Jurassic Park when I was nine. I believe, just before the film came out. I still remember sitting in the theater trying to finish the book as the lights were going down. Um, couldn't quite get there, but I subsequently read it and a whole slew of other um, Michael Crichton books uh, after that. And at that point, I was you know, sort of fully into to science fiction. That was my thing. And I sort of thought fantasy was this froofy little world that I wasn't, you know, keen to to check out until I was convinced to read The Hobbit and fell in love with it and just never really looked back. So, you know, I sort of took that that passion, that interest for science fiction and fantasy and created a, a blog. At first, it was dedicated to writing. You know, I, I made a design. I built the blog myself because that's what I was schooled in. But as things have evolved uh, and my career has gone towards more of a, a web design route rather than programming, I've picked up more and more knowledge just about design and, and implementing it into just my day-to-day life as a web designer. So it's no surprise that I cover a lot of art and design aspects of the industry I get, you know, made fun of sometimes for always posting cover art and, and being judgmental about it, but it is something that does I cross tend to over. appreciate it because I usually, I usually just sort of look at cover art and I say, okay, there's, there's cover art. And every once in a while I say things like, oh, there's another hooded figure with a sword. One of my big insights actually came when I started the podcast because I reached out to a friend who does graphic design and said, you know, can you design the art for the podcast? She did. And it was outstanding. I still, I look at it and I just grin. I was kind of about 80% of the way to launching the podcast and got stuck for a while. And then the art came through and it really inspired me to work on it and finish it and launch it because this is so cool. 
I mean, part of it was, okay, I've actually spent money on this. I should follow through. But most of it was just, this is so cool. And that was when it occurred to me that even if I don't necessarily notice it, probably there is more impact in the cover art that I'm looking at than I necessarily realize. I'm not surprised at all to hear that. Um, I think one thing that, you know, people don't necessarily think about or measure when they're talking about cover art, people will say, no, don't judge a book by a cover, or I don't care what the cover looks like, I just care about what's inside, is that cover art gives you that kind of instant primal response to something that you can't get with writing. No matter how fast you read, it takes time, it takes hours to digest something that someone has written. Whereas a piece of art, you can absorb and um, have an emotional response to within, you know, seconds, half a second. And that first response is so incredibly important in terms of creating excitement. Before we dive in, maybe you could just give me a little bit more vocabulary for discussing covers. So I've sort of heard of the notion of landscape covers versus covers that feature a figure and impressionistic versus photorealistic. Sure. Um, you talk about impressionistic versus photorealistic covers and those sort of run a gamut, um, but can be boiled down to impressionistic covers or something that is often painted digitally or traditionally. Um, it might be a little more sort of surreal in the way that it, you know, couldn't necessarily or wouldn't necessarily appear in our world. It has sort of an organic lived in feel that you might see from artists like Richard Anderson. Whereas photorealistic covers often take photography, usually stock photography, and all of that is manipulated by a graphic designer to create sort of a, a cover that has a particular type of impact. I would say among sort of people online, impressionistic sort of illustrated painted covers are generally more popular. A lot of people will tell you that they don't really like photorealistic covers. Uh, they can often come across as schlocky, kind of cheesy, especially in fa fantasy and science fiction. It can look like literally what it is, an actor in a studio dressed up like a, you know, a warrior with an axe or holding a, a, you know, a laser pistol. And it can look a little cheesy. Benefit being that photorealistic covers are often cheaper to produce than hiring, uh, you know, a well-known established painter, illustrator, or artist to create a cover for you. And they also hit different types of markets. So depending on what you're, you know, who you're trying to sell for, one might be more appropriate than the other. In terms of sort of terms and terminology and things that go into making a cover, you, of course, you have the art, um, but you're also looking at design, like layout and typography. So choosing the right font, choosing, you know, how it's all arranged on the cover so that the image gets as much impact as possible. But you also don't want the details of who the author is, maybe what a series it's attached to, or what the name of the book is to be lost in all of that. So you might look at something like James S.A. Corey's Leviathan Wakes. If you look at that, you'll notice that it's this big, really kind of bold science fiction image. Uh, it's gorgeous, the title's there, in big, bold font. Um, and then James S.A. Corey sort of in little, small text at the bottom. If you look at Corey's latest novels, you'll see now, you look at the cover and his name, their name, because it's a pseudonym for two authors, are huge across the cover. All they want you to see when you walk into the bookstore is that name. Um, so it's, you know, it's emblazoned across the art, and they're really trying to get that point across. So that is one of the most important aspects of cover art. And one of the things I think that separates good cover art from bad cover art, and that's what separates, you know, professional top-end 
um, designers from, you know, people who are maybe doing it on a more hobbyist um, level. It's sort of a culmination of, you know, design and typography and, and art that really makes it a cover work or makes something that, you know, is going to get passed over on the shelves. Right. And, and the art and sort of the design aspects are essentially separate, right? That is, in general, one person is going to make the art and then someone else is going to decide how to put things like the name and the title. Yeah, I, I mean, there's all sorts of ways you can go about designing something, um, designing a book cover. A lot of the time, if you see something with, um, you you know, like, um, like sort of covers for Brandon Sanderson Stormlight books, those paintings, Michael Whalen will, you know, sit in his studio and he'll paint something that he'll deliver to Tor. And the designers um, at Tor will take that painting and lay it out as a book cover, decide where the text goes, uh, you know, which colors they're using, what elements they want to put where. Whale Michael Whalen wouldn't have any real control or authority over something like that. Um, but on the flip side, you have other covers designed specifically by a graphic designer that maybe aren't just text overlaid over top of an illustration. If you look at something like Charlie Jane Anders' All the Birds in the Sky, which comes out early next year, it's a gorgeously designed piece of art, but you can't separate design and layout and art from one another. It's, it's all one and the same, and it would have been done all by one uh, graphic designer. So there's definitely definitely different approaches depending on what the final product is going to yeah, look I like. Yeah, I grabbed a couple of my, and these are primarily older fantasy novels, but I'm looking at Friedman's Black Sun Rising and mm -hmm. The Eye of the World, and it seems like there's a figure, but there's plenty of space around the figure, usually above them, to kind of, okay, here's here's the cover, but we'll, we'll leave you plenty of space to obscure. You know, Eye of the World cuts off the Drakkar's wings a little bit, but, but there's no danger that we can't see the yeah. more ring. Absolutely. So when I was um, working on the cover for my book, Tide of Shadows and Other Stories, mm -hmm. um, because of my budget, I was looking at artwork that had already been created. Uh, I wanted to license it mm -hmm. for my project. I didn't have the funds to actually go and get original art created. I found a ton of art that I really loved and would have been you know, an incredible cover for, for the collection. But just as you say, it wasn't, it wasn't illustrated with a book cover in mind. You need to have that negative space. You need to have that particular type of layout that allows you to overlay text uh, on top of it. Because if, you know, you're cutting off the protagonist's face with right. uh, the title of the book, you're probably going to, you know, create a, something that feels a little uncomfortable and, um, and unprofessional. So you definitely have to take into account um, how an image might be striking um, just on its own, but doesn't really work from a design perspective. Right. Well, since we're there, let's let's start actually with with your cover and see because I'm I'm a little curious some of the things you were you were trying to promise and suggest with that. I'm looking now and I see there's a figure walking on what looks like some kind of like it almost looks like walking on water towards more distant. There's a there's a sun rising in the background. There's mountains and a city that I'm seeing. I think kind of a ruined city. I look at this. And I'm thinking kind of science fiction and maybe, if not quite space opera -y. at least it seems to me that you're trying to evoke something with the with the landscape and, and sort of notions there. Maybe I'm over-reading into things. Sure. Um, so the cover, the illustration that I picked, um, as I said, it 
It had already been painted by a uh, an artist from Estonia named Koldar Lament. And when I came across his uh, gallery on DeviantArt, I just absolutely fell in love with the work that he was doing. So I had a story in mind uh, to be the title story for the collection called Tide of Shadows. And I went through his um, gallery and found a few uh, illustrations that I felt tonally captured the feeling of the book, or sorry, the short story. And you're absolutely right. It is science fiction. It's not quite space opera, but it's it's there a little bit. But it's about a planet get, that gets taken, not a planet, but a, a society that get decimated by a group of alien life forms that already lived on the planet that they decided to inhabit. So I wanted to portray this idea of this ghostly city that had been taken over by some ethereal being, uh, I guess. And, and that one image just really stuck out to me. The, the greens and the, the kind of ruins in the background just seemed to fit the image that I had in my head for what that planet might look like after the uh, genocide had occurred. So I found that illustration. I, I did a few mock layout layouts, um, a few mock covers to find out, you know, is it going to work for the cover that I envisioned? And it did. And at that point, I reached out to the artist and said, you know, this is a project I'm working on. This is a budget I have. Can we work something out? Um, and he was kind enough to uh, to work with me to find terms that uh, agreed uh, with both of well, us. Well, I think I think it's a gorgeous cover. And it it seems that it, it mostly makes the kinds of promises that you wanted to make. So that's that's probably also a win. So you can ask Let's for. turn to the various novellas that Tor.com recently announced, because that seems to in many ways, run the gamut of styles and types of cover art, but also an incredible, striking set of illustrations. And so I'm wondering if we can just kind of go through them. Okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to begin by saying that I think that Tor.com uh, and uh, the art team and uh, creative team that works underneath Irene Gallo is doing not just some of the best work in fantasy and science fiction right now, but the best work in science fiction and fantasy. I think the reason that we're seeing such an upswelling of support and positive feedback for these Tor.com novella covers is because the Tor.com art team isn't being held back by this idea that they have to create products that emulate, quote unquote, what sells. They're not fighting for bookstore space. They're not fighting to get into Walmart and get into the grocery store. So they don't need to look like what sold at Walmart and the grocery store before. Right beforehand so they have this sort of unfettered freedom to design covers that appeal to the sort of passionate science fiction and fantasy fans that make up sort of the vocal community online um and these tor.com novella covers i think just showcase why more and more people consider them to be sort of top tier in terms of cover art the first one that they have in their roundup um the sorcerer of the wild heaps is um, a gorgeous piece by Carla Ortiz, who I think is one of the sort of most underrated artists working in science fiction and fantasy right now. She does some amazing work for Wizards of the Coast uh, on their Magic the Gathering card game. And I'm really glad to see her getting more um, more work in fantasy cover art. Um, it's gorgeous. It's sort of impactful. It has a really unique perspective by creating this sort of depth with this real um, real figure in front of a sculpture. And on top of it all, you sort of have this, just this sort of Greek-Roman feel to the cover that really resonates with me. You don't often see sort of perspective like that, uh, which I think is is very unique yeah. and gorgeous. 
The Wizards of uh, Litchford by Paul Cornell is an interesting one because it's very stark and sort of gorgeous in a in an ethereal way, and the, the figures walking into the mist suggests a lot about the story, but it also really ties around to what they're doing with his uh, novel covers. So you can see a little bit of uh, the way that they're incorporating branding into okay. Paul Cornell's um, catalog, not just by his novels, but also with his novellas. So you can see on a store shelf, you see a book, and without even having to see the name on the cover, you might know that it's a Paul Cornell book. Sunset Mantle by Alter S. Rice is uh, a cover that I actually debuted on A Dribble of Ink. And when they got in contact with me, just asked me if I wanted to, to be part of the cover reveal. I signed up immediately because I knew no matter what uh, the cover looked like, coming from Tor.com, coming from Irene, artist Richard Anderson, I knew it was going to be something really impressive. And I wasn't wasn't disappointed. Uh, the designer, Christine Foltzer, did a great job of sort of incorporating this grim, sort of gritty fantasy feel that's kind of reminiscent um, of Cameron Hurley's The Mirror Empire, uh, which uses the same artist. And I just like this idea that I can see already that this short book, it's a novella, is going to kind of funnel into something very visceral and mean yes, by the end of it's it. it's definitely, like everything, it's very clear what you're looking at, but at the same time, none of the details quite, there's just little bits yeah. of, I want to say smudging, and I'm sure that's not quite right. It's slightly <laughs> in, incomplete and more suggestive. And that's um, something that something that Richard Anderson does really well is in a very sort of impressionistic style gives you a really good idea of what's going on without giving away the details. And I think something that bothers people about photorealistic covers or covers that really focus on a singular figure from the book is that they never match the picture you have in your head. Right. You know, whether the artist has just gotten the details wrong because they weren't properly informed about what the character should be doing or looking like, or for marketing purposes, some compromises were made, whatever the reason, you have this picture in your head of what these characters look like. When it doesn't match that image on the cover of the book, there's just sort of some dissonance between that, and that can be really frustrating for readers. Anderson does a really good job of sort of straddling that middle ground, of making these, you know, easily defined images without kind of treading uh, over into that uncanny valley. And you can see that as well with his cover, um, so he was the illustrator as well for The Builders by Daniel Polanski. And again, you Okay, have yeah, I was thinking that those seemed very similar. Like a lot of energy, a lot of, um, a lot of atmosphere, and you get so much personality out of these animals that if drawn in a more sort of realistic style might come across as a little, you know, wind in the willowsy. Uh, but instead you have something that, despite the absurdity of these grimdarky rodents, comes across as actually sort of awesome. Um, and I think that really speaks to Anderson's ability to, to convey a lot of emotion in his art. Um, my absolute favorite of the bunch is Binti by Nnedi yes. Okorafor. It is, I, I mean, I don't even know what to say about it. It's striking. It's gorgeous. It's a, a, everything I, I want a cover to be. It's bold. And I'm very excited to see Tor.com putting uh, together a cover like that. It's just, I, I can't stop looking at it. And if I wasn't already excited for uh, the novella because of uh, Akora for being the author, I, I wouldn't be able to write. It's amazing. Cover. It's definitely one that's been sticking with me uh, over the last week since I started seeing them coming out. I, I feel like in some ways it's more, there is kind of less going on. And so there's only the one thing to focus on. I, I felt with some of the others processing a few different things at once and here 
the face and yeah. the color. And it's funny because it kind of goes against what I was saying about Richard Anderson having that sort of impressionistic style. This is a cover of Binti that is, you know, very in your face. It's very direct. You get a very, very clear picture of the character, but it's so unique. It's so, like, captivating that I think it just kind of creates a presence just before you even open the page, and, and it's impossible to tear yourself away from that image or reading the book. Um, but in this case, I feel like that's only going to be a positive because the, the artwork is so Next striking. we have The Last Witness by K.J. Parker. This one Yeah, is, this is another... This one seems to be sort of the most... the closest to something, at least so far that we've seen, that I would expect to see on a shelf. Sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's a there's a lot of storytelling going on here, which I really like about it. The sort of thorny ivies um, or vines are, are sort of strange when you when you think about it. You can't really sort of tell where they're coming from, and they're behind these two protagonists, obviously in some sort of it looks like a library of some sort, full of scrolls with you know some really great perspective as, as it goes up and up and up. But of course, the most interesting is this girl whispering in the ear of the um, of the man. He's sort of pushing her away or, or trying to ignore her and she has that knife in her hand. And just that alone, I think, yeah. you know, you can, you can already begin to wonder what's going to happen in that book. And with K.J. Parker behind it, you know it's going to be um, more than you expect. That is maybe a little more traditional than some of the others, but also uh, definitely one of my favorites. I, I definitely take your point about the storytelling that it's doing. Where some of the other covers are just, you know, these static images that evoke emotion. Last Witness actually asks you to consider what's going on in the scene and how it might end, how those characters got into that place in the first, uh, in the first place. So it's, um, it's interesting how it creates questions and maybe those questions, uh, knowing KJ Parker, those questions could be, uh, setting you up to expect one story and be delivered another. Be very curious to, uh, to read that. Next up is Of Sorrow and Such by Angela Slater, which is this, an incredible piece of art from top to bottom. It's something that I think you could, you know, easily see hanging in, a, in an art gallery somewhere uh, if you remove the text. And I like the way that they took um, a very busy illustration and simplified things when it came to the text and the layout. You just have solid colored, no drop shadows, no outlines, nothing fancy, just plain text um, in contrasting colors, and that uh, has a, a very strong Yeah, that's, again, something I had totally not considered. I am loving this conversation as Aiden just takes me through a tour of <laughs> Art and Design 101. Envy of Angels, <laughs> this one, again, very different from a lot of the stuff we've seen before. Or am I, am I rushing yeah. too fast? No, no, that's good. Yeah, Envy of Angels by Matt Wallace. This, I mean, this is a weird one to me. It's it's kooky. It doesn't fit in with the rest of them, and that in itself makes it interesting. As you can see, if you look at the credits just above it, um, the photograph is by Getty Images. So again, we get back to that idea that some of these covers aren't, you know, an artist or a painter sitting down to create something, but um, a designer, in, uh, in this case, Peter Lukian, who goes and, and comes up with a concept and executes on it. And that's exactly what you have here. You have this image of chicken nuggets uh, with angel wings. And, you know, Envy of Angels as a title could mean anything. But as soon as you see that imagery, you know you're in for something that's going to be, a, you know, a little askew, yeah. probably have a sense of humor. And just that sort of bold cover is going to make you stop and think. 
it uh, it's sure to be something else. I don't really know much about Matt Walsh's um, books, but I know he's excited to be part of this novella line, and he certainly has a cover that uh, will catch people's Yeah, and attention. so as we're, as we're looking at art versus design, the things like the angel's wings there are the designer, right? Yeah, so that's going to be somebody um, who, you know, takes this idea of, you know, creating a chicken nugget angel, I guess. You know, they take this this image of chicken nuggets and they'll open that up in Photoshop. They'll create, you know, probably a rough mock-up for the cover and then start creating those other elements, that halo and those uh, right. wings right in Photoshop. And then, you know, creating the dustboard, uh, or sorry, the, the blackboard kind of feel by having the, the dustiness behind it and sort of a chalk outline look to the lettering and the, the illustration um, kind of gives you the sense of it being grounded probably in the real world as well. So that's an idea probably, you know, that somewhere along the line, a designer came up with this idea and, and really wanted to run with it and obviously yeah. had fun. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about the builders. I think that this is our first repeat illustrator with Richard Anderson. Yeah, I believe Anderson's the only one who did two. Of these is there covers. anything more about it that you want to notice? Um, I I was kind of surprised. This is going to get really inside baseball, but the font that they use for the title of the book is um, pretty common and, and really unique to the point that it's identifiable. Identifiable as just sort of being a out of the box font. Um, a lot of the time with tour books, uh, if they're not going with something very classic, I don't really expect them to use the obvious choice. And the, the builders, the font that they use there is a really obvious choice. So that was sort of a surprise to me. But at the same time, it, you know, it really fits the art. And, you know, they went with that sort of blood splatter treatment of it that, uh, you know, makes it a little, a uh, little more, uh, unique. It's a pretty, it's a pretty fun cover. Well, I'm just. <laughs> I remember reading Redwall, and this feels like, okay, we're getting getting sort of updated yeah. Redwall. Yeah, it's definitely the direction that I went with that. Domino yeah. and the Borrowed Child. I really like this one. Again, we get back to this idea that it's a lot of fun. It has some, it looks like a child and maybe a, an elf and a, and a woman climbing up a tree escaping from wolves. Uh, and you get back to this idea of right. storytelling. It gives you an idea of, you know, the sort of adventure you're going to get into. I, what I like about it so much is that it sort of reminds me of some of the old Diana Wynne Jones novel covers. Uh, so that alone, like just having a reminiscent to those, a reminiscence to those gives you an idea of what the story might be and whether it lives up to that or not. Um, it's hard to say before reading it, but you can sort of evoke those feelings in somebody just through a similar style of cover. I like how sim simple it yeah. is as well. Oh, goodness. The shootout solution. I am saying, yes. oh goodness, because this <laughs> looks comic and humorous to me, and I tend not to respond all that well to uh, sci-fi comic and humorousness. I am not saying, oh goodness, at the cover, which seems very striking and is probably immediately making promises since I had a visceral reaction to it. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, that that kind of strong visceral reaction is positive because it's going to leave an impression in your mind and it's going to stick with you. This one is actually designed by the same person who designed the cover for Matt Wallace's Envy of Angels. So you can see that sort of undertone of humor um, running through it. There's a lot going on here. 
a lot of different styles of font, uh, a lot of different type of imagery from the bullet whipping around the world to the detective hat. I have a bit of trouble with this one. It doesn't really resonate with me a lot. I feel like it could have maybe even simplified a little bit, reduced down to a single concept. Might have come across a little better for me, but at the same time, that might be because, like you, sort of humorous sci-fi noir isn't really a thing that I'm drawn to and, and when I'm getting that idea from, from a cover I'm immediately going to be a little yeah I feel like it also I mean there's book one right on there so there's certainly the assumption that you could probably keep some of those elements throughout a series you know what yeah that's a really um, sharp uh, observation uh, it is something that you could easily take and um, repeat elements through and create that branding like we had talked about earlier with the Paul Cornell cover um, so you, I think you're right that's where they're going with this one each episode closes with a memory of a significant book, the right book at the right time, an interesting find, or just something that stuck around. I've been reading Charlie Jane Anders' All the Birds in the Sky. It doesn't come out until January 2016, so I feel a little bad bragging about it, but it is... You're, you're mocking uh, all of us, and I'm shaking my fist. I know, I know. It's, it's a hotly anticipated book, and for good reason. It's absolutely incredible. I haven't been this enraptured by books since Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, which is probably my favorite book of last year. Anders is well known within the science fiction and fantasy community for being the editor-in-chief of io9, for winning Hugo Awards for a short fiction, and this debut novel of hers, which is a weird, warm, heartbreaking, coming-of-age story wrapped up in an end-of-the-world frame, and then sort of bundled up around the idea that brilliant scientists and a uh, talented magic user can sort of coexist and fall in love and save the world, doom the world, it's hard to tell um, all at once. It, it brings in so many elements that it should, by all rights, be a mess. It's only 300 pages long. It's just this in incredible experience where everything just works. And Anders has this ability with voice to just pull you into the narrative. And as the character's age, the tone, and the voice of the novel changes with them. And it's just, there's so much love and passion for endless boundaries of science fiction and fantasy that I just can't stop thinking about it. It's incredible. And I can't wait for more people to read it so I can talk to them about it. Uh, it's a novel that you have to talk to other people about. It just, it, it I think it's going to be on a lot of award lists uh, in, I guess, 2017. Well, in let's see, seven months, I will I will start tweeting at you about it. And, uh, you can say, "Oh yeah, I kind of vaguely remember that one." Thanks for listening to Cabbages and Kings. Please let me know what you think of the show on the website cabbagesandkings.audio. There's a feedback form and also a page if you'd like to be on the show, or just go ahead and email contact at cabbagesandkings.audio. I'm on Twitter at Jay Sutton Morse. The show is on Twitter at King Cabbage Cast. Let me know what you enjoyed, what books you're reaching for now, what I can do to make the show better. The website also has an occasional blog, my running tweets on books I'm reading, and importantly, a link to the RSS feed for this show, which you can also find on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are aggregated. Until next time, enjoy your reading.